Well, hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Oz Experience. You open the doors to ease on down the road and enter into the Emerald City. Oh, my gosh. Today, y'all know I don't bring nobody short. I don't bring nobody that doesn't bring it to the table. I don't bring, I know that's grammatically incorrect. My grandparents would roll over in their grave <laughs> if they heard me saying that, but I don't bring nobody, that's a double negative, that is not going to bring the power, the impact, um, and the nuggets to you to help you shift and understand diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm, I don't shortchange you. I shoot straight from the hip, and I bring those powerhouses along with me. And y'all, let me tell you, he is amazing. I have been following Dr. Moreland for a minute and he's just, he's a beast. He's a beast. He's a goat, a beast, whatever it is that you want to say about him. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about him as far as uh, the Cliff Notes version. But as I firmly believe, and you've heard me say once every time that you've tuned into this show, that nobody can brag on you like you can. So I'm going to pass the torch after I give my Cliff Notes version to Dr. Will and let him tell you about himself. And then we're going to dive into this diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. So Dr. Will is a military veteran. If I recall correctly, it's Army, right? Army, yes. Woohoo! So just a little side note here, in fact, that you didn't know about me. I was the uh, fundraising chair for the Buffalo Soldiers Association of West Point. Oh, wow. And we just put a monument on their campus commemorating Buffalo soldiers as soon as you enter into the campus. So I know you understand how powerful that is. Very powerful. Um, he is what, what some people call a serial entrepreneur. I have seen him work. He's got books. Look, he's almost like the Jamaican man of entrepreneurship. He does this and he does that and he does this and he does that. He's got several books, an amazing author, amazing author, some super powerful books on leadership. Um, he'll probably share some of those with you later. Um, what else can I say about this man? He's just powerful. He's powerful. He's been named top speaker in America. I told y'all I bring y'all the best. And with this one, I got to say it and I got to say it slow so that y'all can digest it. Business person of the year, of the year. I got a funny feeling and a sneaking suspicion. It's going to be a little bit more than just one year for you. <laughs> I do because of what you're doing and the impact that you are making. So those are the Cliff Notes versions that I have for you on who he is. I'm passing the torch over to Dr. Moreland and letting him tell you who he is, what he's about, where he come from, how he do what he do, what he do, what he do. Let's go. Well, let me first say I am so honored to be here and thank you for the impact that you're making all around the world and the platform that you have set up with this podcast to allow people like me to share our story, share our wisdom and our knowledge. So you are a beast in your own right. So thank you so much. As you have followed me, I have followed you and just looking at your trajectory of success. I'm very proud to be connected to you. So thank you so much for uh, having me. You know, uh, the older I get, 
the story gets a little bit longer. So I'll, I'll try to shorten the story. But I'm originally from Compton, California. If your audience is familiar with Compton, when I was growing up there, they said Compton was literally the worst city in America, raised by my grandmother and a single mother in that type of environment. You can imagine how challenging that was. So um, growing up, I found myself on the wrong side of the tracks, the wrong side of the law, got into a little bit of trouble. But fortunately, you know, God had a plan for me and allowed me to get back on track. I was able to, as you alluded to earlier, join the United States Army. And that really began my uh, transformation and the change around in my life. I was able to join the military. From there, I got shipped to uh, Germany. And so if you can imagine a kid that grew up in Compton, California, grew up very sheltered. At that time, I had never traveled outside of California, had never traveled more than 20 miles outside of Compton. And here I was now 8,000 miles away in a brand new country. And being in this new environment, it gave me the opportunity to get some of my first mentors. It gave me an opportunity to get some stability and some standards um, at an elevated level in my life. And from there, um, I got into heavy into personal development. And I was just enamored with personally what it was doing for me, how it was changing my mind, how it was changing my life. And I got very passionate about uh, helping other people discover who they are in life and what their goals were and, and, and helping them succeed. And then later on, I got into this space of DEI, um, because I began to realize that my experiences weren't everybody's experiences. You know, growing up, I thought everybody that was African-American or Black American grew up like me. And just by joining the military, I began to realize, oh, we're not monolithic. We're not just living this life one way. There's a various ways to live this life. And so not only was the Black experience different, but the white experience, the Latino experience, the American experience, and the global experience, it was all different. And I got very fascinated with that work. And so I started a consulting company where we now go all around uh, the world, literally teaching uh, DEI, and we've been very blessed and very fortunate. Uh, uh, a couple of years ago, we were named one of the top uh, DEI companies here uh, in America. We are named the number one DEI company in Arizona. I've been named a world civility ambassador for the work that I've done um, around the world in the space of DEI. And that's what motivates me now. I, I believe this world is just such a fantastic world and it's better uh it's better by the relationships and the people that you surround yourself with. But I've, I've found that there were some, some roadblocks to that. And that's how this whole DEI space came about because we're trying to remove these roadblocks that keep people from living a full life. And so that's what I'm passionate about. That's what wakes me up every morning. That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps my battery charged up just by helping. We call it, you know, our company tagline is we're better together. And I just think if we can see the world with new eyes, all of us have glasses on and we see the world, how we've been taught to see the world. We see the world uh, through our own experiences. But there's so many 
different lenses. I tell people all the time, most of us are living a Neapolitan life, right? Uh, strawberry, <laughs> uh, chocolate, and vanilla, but there's 31 flavors out there. You know, go find out what those other 28 flavors are like, and I think you'll enjoy life a lot better. So that's what that's a little bit about me, and that's my passion, and that's what gets me going every day. Wow. I'm just ready to drop the mic and go ahead and head out, get my cup of coffee, digest all of that and start some execution. I don't know what the plan is going to be, but I'm ready to start some execution just based off of what you said. And I love the fact that um, when you talked about going into the army and having a totally new perspective that was completely 180 of what you had experienced, that that began to open your eyes into uh, different perspectives, different pedigrees, different backgrounds, and truly beginning to understand DEI. Um, that's very passionate for me, as I've shared with my audience on multiple occasions. Um, I firmly believe, let's just say it this way we've all had those managers or those leaders that we wonder how in the heck did they get the job? How in the heck are they keeping the job? What what's really going on with them? Because they don't know how to talk to people. They don't know how to relate to people. And it becomes a um, dictatorship almost with with within the leadership. I said, this is what you need to do. So this is what you need to do. And consequently, that creates discord between management and employees. Um, and I firmly believe, which is why I started looking at DNI a little bit differently not the technical skills, because a lot of managers have the technical skills. It's the soft skills for me. And if you have the ability to connect with a person, you get more out of them. They have more of a sense of belonging. They are more willing to do the and then some or even do period <laughs> um, for, for, the, for the overall team, for the goal, for the task or whatever it may be, depending on what your industry is. And I focus on soft skills. It's the relationships for me that make the difference in every aspect of our of our lives. And that goes across, it's transferable in every industry because we have to know how to deal with people. We have to interact with people at some point. And I often use the illustration of a farmer, even though he's independent and can do his own thing on his farm, he still has to go to the uh, farmer's market or wherever to get the seeds to so that he can plant them. He has to go to John Deere or wherever it is that he's going to go get um, his, his, his tractor trailer or whatever it is that he needs. He has to go to another institution in order to be able to do that. So there still has to be some dependency on other people, despite how independent we, we are. So I love you. And I thank you for bringing that to the table. How, I guess, what was one of the things that really tapped into you understanding or realizing that this DE&I thing is, is, is something powerful and it's something um, that needs to be touched and addressed? Well, it, it goes back to a lot of what you just talked about with within leadership. I think that we've had the wrong perspective and the wrong idea of what leadership was. It, it, it's exactly what you said. Leaders, you know, 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, it was all about do what I say, 
do what I say, right? It was all about cracking the whip. And even when I joined the military, that was the mindset, right? Um, you're going to do what I said to do, whether it makes sense or not, simply because I said it. And what we've learned through research and what we've learned through human behavior, all humans reject being told what to do. Mm-hmm. All humans, no matter what you, if you look through the lens of leadership, um, when we had, you know, tyranny leadership, um, that's always going to be bucked against by the people. No one wants to be told what to do. And so earlier on in my leadership, um, I used to ask myself this question, what type of leader do you want to be? Because I believe that all of us are leaders. If you look at the simple definition of leadership, leadership just means to be an example. So we're all examples. You know, if you're standing on the corner doing nothing all day, you're an example to somebody. Somebody's watching you. So you're a leader. So the question becomes, what type of leader do you want to be? And when I'm working with my clients and I work with a lot of CEOs and I'm an executive coach, I ask them, when someone leaves your presence, what do you want them to say about you? Because Mm. they are going to say something. So now, are you the jerk or are you the a-hole or you're the boss that they say, man, she gets it. Man, I could feel that she cares about me. Man, you know, when I was in the military, we would have morning formations where we would have to come in and we would have to be in formation. And I remember like some of the soldiers sometimes would be late and I would hear some of the other leaders and they would say, oh, I'm going to give them what we would call a Article 15. If if this soldier's late, I'm going to give them an Article 15. And I would always say in the meetings, I would say, wait, hold on. We don't even know what happened. We don't know if his tire got busted. We don't know if she just got into an argument with her spouse. We don't know if his dog just got ran over. Why are we going straight to punishment before we're going to see as a human how they are? And as you said, this plays out in all arenas. When I was in corporate America, when I was in nonprofit, we always tend to look at the negative about people. And when you start having what I call heartfelt leadership, where you lead from your heart, you're always more concerned with the individual than you are with the numbers. And um, we tend to look at people from, oh, that's Taraji, uh, 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 that's Will who works in human resources. But Will is not just the human resource guy. Will is a husband, he's a father, he's a friend, he's a mentor, he's a public servant. He's more than just that role. And a lot of times we just see people as an accountant, a lawyer, and we forget to humanize people. So for me, this work has been to help people not to remove the human factor from their employees, from their team members, from their leaders, because you know, in most work environments, it's us against them. It's mm-hmm. us against them. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, management, management said we had to do this. Or is management saying, oh, they're so lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to. So it's always this mm-hmm. us against them. So what I try to do is build a bridge between leadership and employee. And uh, uh, it's been very fascinating over the last 20 years to do this type of work. Wow, 20 years. So that means that you've seen a lot of changes and a lot yes, of ma'am. challenges. 
lot of changes and a lot of challenges. So that actually is a great segue for um for for the next question. And you guys know I don't have questions already set. I just roll with the conversation and see how it goes. So what have been some of the most challenging things that you have seen that have uh, made the most impact for you in your personal life, as well as in your professional life? And then what are some of the changes that you have seen that have been um, most impactful for you in your personal and professional life? So... For me, I've been very fortunate, and I think the success that we've had as a company um, has a lot to do with my own personal experiences. Once again, I started off in Compton, California, but very early on, at the age of 19, when I joined the military, I was able to leave America. I was able to leave America, live in a whole different country, and now 25 years later, um, I've visited 60 different countries I've lived in five different countries, and this has given me a perspective um, of DNI and of human behavior that uh, a lot of people just don't have. And so, when I look at some of the challenges, the very biggest challenge that I've noticed is that we don't talk to each other. We don't talk. And when I go into companies and I go into organizations, I ask people about the person next to them in their cubicle. And I say, tell me about Mary. Tell me everything that you know about Mary. And this is a person that they've sat next to for eight hours a day for the last 10 years. And they don't know if Mary is married. They don't know if Mary is a grandmother. They don't know if Mary likes rock and roll music. Does Mary like jazz? Does Mary like Beyonce? Does Mary like Martha Twain? They don't know because we don't talk. And so when we don't talk, what happens is, we're left with assumptions. And you mm -hmm. know what they say mm -hmm. about assumptions when you assume this. And this not is me. I'm think. not getting one yeah, out yeah, of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so what, what the biggest challenge is, what I found out is we simply don't talk and now we're just left with assumptions. And so uh, what do you know about Will? Well, I think, well, I think versus, mm -hmm. hey, Will, we were wondering we saw that you came in with a Raider, Raiders jersey on. Is the Raiders your favorite team? Or what was that? There's probably always a story behind it, right? Oh, the Raiders are my favorite team. Or San Francisco's my favorite team. Or my grandfather gave me this jersey. Or I just simply found it at a thrift store. Oh, wait a minute. You go thrifting? I go thrifting. I would love to go thrifting with you. What are the thrift stores you go to? But because we don't talk, we just assume. And so that's been the biggest, to me, the biggest advantage in my life. I've learned how to communicate with people, talk with people. Uh, my family laugh at me all the time because they say I haven't met a stranger before because I talk with everybody because I would rather ask the question and know for certain than to walk away. You know, just the other night, I'll give you an example. Just the other night, me and my wife were at a restaurant and the couple next to us um, they were eating dinner and they had these two little figurine dolls on the table. They had these two little figurine dolls on the table. And me and my wife, we were like racking our brain. Like, I wonder what those dolls are about. Because it, it seemed kind of weird. Like, you just got place. This, you know, yeah, you got these two dolls on the table and they were like little figurine dolls. And so we went back and forth, back and forth until it just 
I couldn't take it no more. So I got up, I went over to them and I said, excuse me, don't mean to interrupt, but I'm just so curious about these dolls that you have on the table. And the lady, she began to say, you know, I lost my mother uh, several years ago and I had this doll made. This is a figurine of my mother. And then this other doll is her friend. And so I just, I, 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 I just wanted to be with my mom. I just wanted to still travel with my mom. And so she had, once again, this fascinating story. If me and Christy would have walked away wondering, we would have made up our own story. That's crazy to see this grown woman walking around with dolls. But now I had a story that made total sense. And so just by willing to talk to people um, has been the greatest advantage. And then I think once again, the greatest advantage is also the greatest challenge. When I ask people, tell me about your neighbors. Tell me about who lives next door to you. I don't know. I, that's Harold. I just know Harold lives there. I wave at him every once in a while. So once again, this presents a challenge when we, especially here in America, when we see all the friction going on, people really just don't know each other. We don't know culturally about each other. If I ask, you know, I ask people often, tell me about our sister countries. How much do you know about Mexico? How much do you know about Canada? Most people don't know anything. Does Canada have a president? Do they have a prime minister? What's their governmental structure? Most people don't know about anything. And so when you don't know about something, once again, you're left to assumption. We're just assuming what Mexico is like versus let me go ask, I have a couple of uh, Latino friends or I have a couple of Spanish friends that I, I work with, but I've never asked them about their culture. I've never asked them about where they come from. Um, I, you know, for me, I remember my first time going to Ghana. Growing you up in the United had an amazing time. I was amazing there for almost time. a month. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you you recognize this as well. Right. Growing up in America, the only image that we got of Africa, I remember, was the starving kids. Send a dollar and we're going to feed these starving kids. And so that was my image of Africa. Like, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to see all these starving people. And then I get over there and I'm blown away. Totally opposite. I'm blown away that how amazing these individuals are, how brilliant these individuals are, how beautiful the country is. And I'm like, if I would have never came over here, I would have been stuck with that image of, oh, the only thing that's over in Africa is starving people. And historically, oh, we used to be a place of kings and queens, but now it's just run down and all that kind of stuff. And so because we don't travel and because we don't explore, um, we have this challenge once it comes to the workplace. When we talk about DEI, no one knows each other. No one knows about each other's culture. And so we think we're so different. But at the same time, really? the 60 countries that I've been to, I find out that every man just wants to take care of his family. Every woman just wants to love and support her children and her family. And at the end of the day, we're all the same. You know, just when we look at food all around the world. The majority of people around the world eat chicken, rice, and beans, and some types of vegetable, right? Now, we may call it something different. You you know, you go over to Ghana and they call it fufu or whatever, but potatoes and chicken is potatoes and chicken, right? It's just no matter where you are. No matter where you are. When I went to India, the same thing. They're eating chicken and potatoes and some type of vegetable. We all eat the same. It's, you know, it's and, and so the more you explore, the more you realize how um, the same we are. 
I love the fact that you introduced um, travel into it. I am a firm believer um, in traveling because that's where you get your best experiences. And you probably saw me looking uh, to the side. I'm making notes. I'm making notes. I'm a good student as well as a host. Um, but I wrote down here, travel is the best educator. And you you get to be with the people. You get to get in the grits with the people. You get to find out your local, you know, your local places for whatever eatery, whatever, you know, genre of food you want. You just get to kind of hang out with the locals, which is one thing that I do. Um, I, I try to make a, a conscious effort whenever I travel. What are some places that I can go eat or some places that I can go to that I can't get at home? I don't yeah, you want gotta, to leave. You got to get out the resort. You can't just stay at the resort. You got to go get with the locals. You got to exactly. go get with the locals. Exactly. And there, that's that sense of belonging. You touched on that earlier. It's that sense of belonging that draws us together. It's that sense of belonging that encourages us to communicate with with one another. Because if, you know, we're just sitting there, it's like, oh, I know a little bit about you, then something is going to pique my interest to either continue the conversation with you or it's going to cause me to uh uh I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with you which kind of ties into my my signature um cuz I have uh, three C's which I call charisma connection and character so all mm -hmm. of this ties into building the relationship cuz if you don't have the charisma there's not going to be that connection and the people aren't going to get a chance to really see who your character is cuz people will change the narrative for us based off of their assumptions and tell people what they think that they know about us. But that can be totally opposite of what it is that we see and that we know because we've built a relationship, we've invested the time to have the communication to know what that person is, is all about. And you touched on something else earlier too, um, where I made another note. You talked about those things that you learned when you first went to Germany, when you first got into um got into the services you teach best what you need most that's what i that was my note that i took away uh, mm -hmm. or my nugget that i took away you teach best what you need most and what it was that you needed that you weren't getting in compton city of compton i'm sorry mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling my age i'm telling my age that's definitely that's definitely the that's, that's it that's definitely the music of my place yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, getting out of that, just sitting, get, some people don't even have to travel across the waters while you get the best experience, I believe, when you cross the waters. But get outside of your own city. Go to the other side of your city because you can, it's, it's a whole cultural thing. There's, we have different pockets here in Houston, uh, being the fourth largest, I think we're third largest city now. But, you know, we've got, uh, we call it Chinatown, Asia Town. Um, there are some pockets where mm, marginalized communities. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave it th that way. Uh, where not as many resources are being spent into that, but that's a whole political issue. And I could go on and on and on with that. That's, that's another talk show another day. Um, as far as where we see value and where those funds and resources need to be spent. Um, but just so much that's here within the city, you can go into different pockets and get different cultures, get different experiences. And some people are just so gung-ho on, nope, I don't want to go anywhere. 
I'm going to stay right here. This is my comfort zone, which is dangerous. <laughs> it's, it's dangerous to stay in that comfort zone if you really want to grow and do something with yourself. And as Madea and them used to say, you ain't going to be nothing, ain't about nothing. <laughs> you know, as long as right. you're staying in, in that place. And I understand growing where you're planted, but in order to grow, you got something. Growth requires movement. You can't grow standing in the same place. Growth requires movement. So you 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 have to, just like a tree, you know, you, your branches and your leaves, they're going to come over somewhere if it's continuing to grow. It's not going to be just that straight, that straight stock. So I love the fact that you 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 did that. And then another nugget that I took away, and I probably should save all of this towards the end, but it was just so good I couldn't let it go. Um <laughs> heartfelt leadership. I consider that servant leadership, um, which is who I am and it's what I'm about because it's not about me and the greatest leaders serve. You, you know, let me say this. Um, when I used to work in corporate America, other leaders would always come to me and they would ask me, they say, how do you get your team to work like they work for you. They're, they're always going to bat with you. You always have the best numbers. How are you motivating them to work so hard for you? And I say, I work very hard in showing them that I care for them. So when I lead a conversation, I'm not leading with, hey, did you get this done yet? I'm leading with, how are you today? What's going on in your world? Is there anything happening today that's going to impact you uh, uh, being the best version of yourself today? Is there anything that I need to know about? And initially, because so many people are used to people not caring for them, mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable when they find someone that cares because they don't know if it's genuine or not. Right. And so it, it took a moment, but when they really know this, this guy really does care. So when I ask someone, how are you doing? I'm not just looking for the colloquial, oh, I'm doing fine, boom, no. I really want to know. And so when they really understood that, man, he cares. So they were now willing to go to bat for me. They were willing to go 100% because they knew I was going to go 100% for them. And so anytime, you know, as I say, we're all leaders and then we have what we call position leaders. So if you happen to be the manager, the, the shift supervisor, you have a position leadership role, if you get your people to see that you care, genuinely care about them, they'll operate at a whole different level for you. They won't be calling out. They feel like they're part of the team. And then, you know, if they really do call out, it was really something serious right. going on. And you need to then investigate, not as an investigator trying to catch them doing something wrong. But I used to tell my, my other leaders, man, catch your people doing something right. Even with our, as parents, right? Mm -hmm. It's so easy for us to always be on our kids. Hey, did you do this? Did you do that? But when's the last time you caught them doing something right and praised them for that? Right. And, and so when, when I look at that, when I look at leadership, servant leadership and heartfelt leadership, earlier we were talking about leaders and how it used to be, it was always just do what I say and all that kind of stuff. What happened was what happens with leaders is most leaders become position leaders because of their skill and their work ethic. Right. Mm -hmm. So we as companies, we see them. Oh, 
boom, they're always on time. They're always getting their numbers and we see them technically. And then we move them into leadership. But a leadership role is a people role. It's -hmm. not a technical role. It's not about nuts and bolts and it's not about numbers. It's about people. And so what happens is I can be the best salesperson but that doesn't make me the best leader, but this best salesperson usually gets promoted. And now we're trying to get that person to duplicate themselves in other people. And so then they go to, I'm here at six o'clock. Won't you be here at six o'clock? Well, I'm not going to be here at six o'clock because I have a baby and my baby needs to go to the childcare at seven. And so I'm not going to come in until eight. That's when I'm supposed to be here. So as a leader, if I don't respect that, if I don't understand that beyond her being a factory worker, she's a mom, she's a wife, she's this, she's a daughter, she's a that, then I'm expecting her to perform just like me, and that's not going to happen. And so Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, he talks about having the right people on the bus. And the way you find out if the right people are on the bus is having those conversations and then being flexible enough as a leader. You know, the pandemic did something that um, outside of outside of, you know, you know, tragically those that died. But the pandemic did something that I've been hoping for in corporate America a long time. And that was seeing that, number one, people are people and people have lives outside of the job. I've been preaching for the last 15 years that we should have this type of hybrid workforce, that we should have this type of flexible workforce, that you shouldn't have to debate between being a mom and a supervisor, a mom, an employee. I was just talking to one of my clients and um, she had to, you know, felt that she had to give up her career because she wanted to be a mom. And that shouldn't be that. That shouldn't be. She shouldn't have had to, if companies were more flexible to say, you know what? It's not going to hurt us. If you go to the soccer game on Thursday, it's not going to hurt us. If you start work at 10 and if it works for you to work to six at night versus coming in at eight in the morning. So, you know, the flexibility. So that's what the pandemic, I think, are allowing uh, companies to see that they can be a lot more flexible. I remember when CEOs used to tell me, Will, if we let them work from home, the production is going to go down. And how are we going to that old school leadership? Right. We need to see them. We need to be able to be over them. We need to be over to hover over them. If we're not hovering over them, they're not going to be productive. But then we found out through our research that people were even more productive at home because they didn't want their bosses to think they weren't being productive. And so now because of the pandemic, we see that this hybrid workspace is going to work, that people can come in two or three days out the week into the physical office, but then still be able to be at home and do some work and still be able to tend to their families. And so from that standpoint, I thought the, you know, this time that we had this ordained, I call it an ordained break, right? Because it is a break that many of us wouldn't have taken. And uh, it gave us a time to get close to our family. And, and then coming out of the pandemic, people are realizing how important connection is, how important people miss people. People literally miss people. And so I'm so thankful for that, that we're starting to see how valuable connections are. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you just tied into all of my points today as far as what it is that I what I coach on and what I train on. You just hitting all of my little bullet points. So the, actually with what you said, oh my gosh, I love the way that this conversation is flowing because I'm writing down things and you are either touching on them or it's a great segue for the next thing that I want to touch on. So I wrote down here, where do you see DNI going? How do you see it? either changing more or I'll, I'll just leave it at where do you see it going? Yeah. So 15 years ago, um, when I got into DEI, it was more of a line item. It was more of a line mm -hmm. item. There was no passion behind it. People were talking about it, but people didn't see the relevancy of it. And then the way our company approaches DEI, it's not that old school approach of, this is what white people are doing and this is what they need to do to make black people feel comfortable. That's old school DEI, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion is so much bigger than that. And so we're starting to see that it encompasses our LGBTQ community. It encompasses our differently um, able community. Um, it has so many, you know, Diversity, when we thought about diversity, when we thought about affirmative action, when we look at these concepts, back in the 60s, America was a pr predominantly black and white society. So when those laws were written and when those acts were written, it was more so, oh, this is what we're doing for black people. But now when we look at America as this vast melting pot, diversity means that I can walk into a boardroom and if I see three women, if I see uh, a, a, a male that identifies as a homosexual and I see a differently abled body person um, in a wheelchair, that's a diverse boardroom. 20 years ago, it was I walked in there. Hey, I don't see no black people in here. We and be the only means, pieces of pepper in that salt. Right. That used to be diversity. How many black people you have working with you? But now diversity has expanded where we have inclusion to say, no, we want to value everybody. And even once again, I don't care if you have a company full of white people, full of black people, full of Asian people, all white people, all black people, all Asian people are not the same. So exactly. you can literally still have a diverse work pool with all the colors being the same, right? So it's not just about mixing and matching and, and making it look like a color box, but it is looking at the value of individuals. And I think that's where DEI is going, where we're putting a greater value on not just a particular color being in the boardroom or in the company, but how diverse is our company? And are we really tapping into that diversity? Meaning, I know Will works in HR, but what else can Will do? What else is he uh, passionate? You know, um, I'm working with a company now and we're doing this assessment where the company hires out for different skill sets. But I said, well, let's see if those skill sets are in your company already. So for instance, right. um, they host the company party, they host the, the, the uh, 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 retirement party, or they host some... Do you have anybody on your staff that's passionate about event hosting? And they found that they had two or three 
of their employees that were passionate about event hosting. And so instead of hiring outside the company, they were able to hire right inside the company. So now these employees, they feel even better about coming to this workspace. Now they're like, oh, my job is allowing me to express my other gifts and talent. Along that same line, we found out that they had six or seven employees that played in a band. So instead of uh, uh, hiring a band outside, they hired a band right from inside. Now, how does that employee feel when they say, my job hired my band to play for the Christmas party? They're more vested. They're more connected to you now. And they're going to go to bat because now what we call it, we call it uh, cultures of civility. That's what we go into companies and create cultures of civility. And this culture of civility these people are fired up about coming into work because it's just not about work. And so now other employees are now saying, Will, I, I didn't know you played the saxophone. I didn't know you played the drums. Man, your band was great. So now we have a reason to communicate. We have a reason to connect. We have a reason to get out of my cubicle, to come say hi to you in your cubicle. So that's what I'm really excited about DNI. I think um, there's there's some real um, some real positives on the horizon for DEI that it's not just a line item that companies are really um, uh, investing in it and they're investing in it at high qualities. Um, we go around and we create civility ambassadors inside corporations so they can really create these cultures. And so I'm really excited. Like I say, when I started out, it was like pulling teeth to get people to really uh, think about DNI, but now I really think it's it's a part of company fabric. It's a part of their DNA now. And you know, and and listening to you say that um, again, I've been writing down, <laughs> been taking taking my notes. I love the fact um, how you call it new school DENI, mm -hmm. um, and it's not just going back to what you said earlier, uh, us and them type 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 of thing, which is kind of how um, Holy Spirit just dropped into me. Use childhood stories to be able to make it simple for people to be able to attain and retain and then be able to execute. So what I do is I look at um, Dorothy. She's a visionary. She's a manager. She's got her team, which is the scarecrow, the oh. tin man, and the lion. They all have different backgrounds. They all have different pedigrees, but they have something special that they bring to the table. And when they bring all of their gifts to the table, they're able to work together to get to the ultimate goal of seeing the Oz and getting what they need from the Oz. Now, mind you, through this journey, they discover some additional things about themselves and about each other, but they work through them because they're having the conversations because they are connecting and they want to move forward and not stay stagnant in that particular place. So that you just all in my Kool-Aid right now. You just <laughs> all in my Kool-Aid. Um, something else that I wrote down here um, is when you were talking about, you know, if there's a company event or something and we're able to go back to those people that are in the organization that we can enlist, to be able to provide those services. I immediately went back to church and went back to the word. It tells us everything that we need, we can find within the church, everything. But in order to find out who knows what, who does what, there has to be a conversation. There has to be a relationship. There has to be a sense of comfort in order to be able to even have the conversation. 
and have that sense of belonging? You know, um, I was over in India and um, I was working with a, a church organization and one of their goals was to build build a church, right? They were meeting in like, uh, you know, a tent and things like that. And their goal was to build a church. And so I'm talking to the pastor and he's telling me about, you know, all of these obstacles to why they haven't been able to build a church. They don't have the money. They don't have the materials. They don't blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Have you asked anybody in the congregation? Have you asked anybody? And he was like, oh, no, because they don't have it. The people don't have it. Dot, 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 dot. He, he built, like most of us do, built all these roadblocks to success. He Moses. didn't know they were actually true, but he built all these roadblocks to success, right? And so I said, well, this is what we're going to do. This Sunday at the next service, after we're just going to ask. We're going to ask people what they have. And this is what happened. We asked a question. We said, here's the vision of the church. We want to build a church. This is what's going to be required. Well, inside that church, they had one gentleman who owned a construction company who said, you know what? I've been building all these buildings. And from building all these buildings, I have all this extra concrete, all this extra uh, uh, bricks and all this extra material. I will donate it to the church so we can build a church. Another lady says, I have a sewing company. I can do all the tapestry. I can do all the upholstery for the chairs. I can do all the curtains for the church. We had another lady who says, well, my husband and I are wood makers. We'll do all the chairs, all this type of stuff. So right in the church was everything that he needed. And less than a year later, we ended up building a sanctuary um, out there. And so, so many times, once again, when we talk about relationship, if we're not from your word communicating, we don't even know if we relate because relate is the root word for relationship. And so if we're all going to be in the same ship, we have to know that we relate. And so the more you talk to people, you start to understand that we relate to each other more than ever. Listen, everybody has to breathe. Everybody has to eat. Everybody got to go to the bathroom. You know, everybody likes to laugh. We're so much alike, but once again, not to, you know, not to make it a spiritual conversation, but that's what the enemy tries to do is to convince us that we're so different, that we're so far apart that we can never relate because why? That keeps us from another spiritual principle. If two or three are gathered together, right? If two would work together and agree, he would do anything on their behalf. And so agreeance and relationship is so powerful. It's so powerful. And this is why there's an access to keep people, whether we look at uh, communities, whether we look at uh, different nationalities. That's why it's such a fight, because the enemy knows that if we just talk, oh, see, this is what I thought about you, T. But by talking to you, I realized that's not even true. How many disagreements, you know, I've been really thinking about this, you know, just what separates us as people and how we choose to uh, address different issues, right? Um, and I've really been thinking about, especially from the neighborhood I come from, um, those disadvantaged neighborhoods that you talked about, how we even decide to address disagreements. And I've been studying mm -hmm. this out because mm -hmm. in my neighborhood, we were taught to address disagreements by fighting. Mm -hmm. 
And that's one way. But I know by working with other communities, that's not how they do it. And so in our community, in my community, so many people lost their life because we have the wrong information about just this one word right here. And you'll probably resonate with this, this phrase right here. He or she or they disrespected me. Mm. And Mm. how we approach that, how we deal with that right there. When someone says they've been disrespected, even for our kids, how we taught that, hey, if somebody disrespect you, if somebody lay their hands on you, what tools are we giving to our kids? What tools are we giving to society to deal with that? I've been in other regions when they have a disagreement. You know what it is? They come and talk. Let us talk about this disagreement. And they bring the elders and they bring, you know, the community together and they say, these two people have an agreement and we're going to let them talk it out. But when I was growing up in my region, man, somebody laid their hands on you, you lay them out. Well, that's not effective because we lost we lost a whole lot of people. I've I've seen a whole lot of people lose their life over he disrespected me. He who he I'm gonna could. push the envelope even further. Do we really know what respect is? It that's a that's another <laughs> and so really having these conversations, and that's what DEI does, allows us to have these conversations to see how other people are um uh, assessing these issues and how other people are dealing with, because I, you know, when I look at different, I love going to Ghana and Nigeria and India to see how they do family and to see how mm-hmm. they do community. I know, mm-hmm. especially for us in the black community, and we know the his, the history behind the black community and black Americans. I believe we lost a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. We lost a lot of that sense of community, lost a lot of that sense of family by the way we were brought over to America, but we got to get that back because some of the things that we've learned how to deal with some of our issues is literally killing us, literally Literally. killing us. When we, he disrespected me or she disrespected who she thinks she is, who she thinks I am. Like that language, the power of language, that language right there. You know, this is why the Bible says, man, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It gives us these principles. Right. Speak the truth in love. Like, man, I just had to get it off my chest. Well, you can still get it off your chest, but there's a way that you can get off your chest that still edifies. Right. Let your speech be tempered with what? Salt. Right. And so because we these are principles, ancient principles that are written millions of years ago. Right. But because we don't know that we're not interacting. We're not, I remember asking a, a, a guy from a whole different generation and a whole different ethnic group about disrespect. Like, man, if you thought somebody disrespected your woman, how would you address that? Because I know in my community, that was a fight. Oh, he disrespected my woman. And he shared with me, he says, well, Will, have you ever thought that he didn't disrespect your woman knowing it was your woman like you're taking it personal like he disrespected Mm. you he didn't even know that was your woman he probably just talked to women like this period but he didn't know it was your woman when your woman came and told you you took it as if oh he thinks i'm a punk let me go let him know so in talking to my friend um about that getting that wisdom on oh he didn't even know that was your woman. 
So you made it seem like he knew intentionally that was your woman. So with that little bit of information, you look at it totally different. Now you approach this gentleman and say, let's have a conversation. I, I, I heard that you had an altercation with my girlfriend, my wife, my friend, my whoever, but let's, let's talk about this. What, what, what was going on? What was the misunderstanding versus let's pull out guns and go blazing, you know? And so just the DNI factor and just communication factor is so powerful that we have to readdress all of these things. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity that we have now to readdress all these issues. Absolutely. It's almost like a retrain. It is. It's a rewiring. It's, 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 all of it has to be rewired. Absolutely, absolutely. So, gosh, uh, I can't believe our time is coming to an end. Yes. So, Dr. Will, please tell the people, please tell the people how they can um, get in contact with you. You have anything upcoming um, that you want to share with the people? Just look, let's talk about it. And let's get it out. Well, simply, you can follow me on all social media platforms at Dr. Will Speaks, D-R-W-I-L-L-S-P-E-A-K-S, Dr. Will Speaks on all social media platforms. That's my website as well, drwillspeaks.com. If you are a speaker, author, a leader, or a consultant that wants to amplify your voice, I help speakers build their business, their brand, and their bank account. I would love to connect with you. Um, we have a Speakers Academy where you can become a genius certified speaker. Just go right over to drwillspeaks.com. If you are a company uh, looking to get DEI services, go over to morelandtraining.com. And that's where we have all of our DEI and all of our leadership training. So if you're a speaker, author, or consultant, go to drwillspeaks.com. If you're a company or organization association that needs DEI training, go over to morelandtraining.com and we would be honored and privileged and excited to work with you. What I told y'all, I don't bring shady. I bring the best to you guys. This has been an amazing amazing, amazing conversation. I almost want to keep it going, but I know you got the rest of your day that you need to handle. <laughs> I got the rest of mine. I've got some appointments and coaching to do. So I, I unfortunately have to end our, our, our conversation for today. But before I let you go, I've got to let these people know about what's coming up for me personally. I have a Oz Experience boot camp. I'm so excited about it, where we are going to be deep diving into diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're going to talk about the isms, the sexism, the racism, all of that stuff that impacts um, your perspective on what it is that you do. And we're going to find out what it is that you can learn from Dorothy and her three friends and their take on diversity, equity, and inclusion. That will be in Sugarland, Texas on March 11th. I will post the link for you to get registered there. I've got some powerhouses coming there um, that will be talking to you, that will have some vendor booths. I'm so super excited about that. If you want to continue to follow your girl, you can follow, follow me mostly on Facebook, which is Diversity Equity, excuse me, Diversity and Inclusion Specialist. You can follow me there or at Tajiri, T-A-J-I-R-I-W brackens b-r-a-c-k-e-n-s you'll find me there and you'll see something probably that looks like this background here that way you know you've got 
the right person. Um, that's pretty much it for me. You can find me at also, if you want to connect my website, which is www.heritageleadershipconsulting.com. Or, um, you know, you can look for me on, on IG. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm all over the place because this is a message and something that I'm passionate about. The people just got to know. Like Betty Wright said in her song, the people got to know. The people got to know. know. So I'm going to meet them where they are so that we can get deep dive, uh, so that we can deep dive into this conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. You guys, I thank you so much for joining us in the Emerald City on this day, and you made your way down the yellow brick roads. We'll catch you next time on another episode of the Oz Experience. Come on, ease on down, ease on down, ease on down the road.